Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Kaiser Soze. <laughs> it was Kaiser Soze the whole time? It was, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. I can't believe this. I, now, I can't believe I've done that one yet. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, everyone. And it was the yeah. most obvious choice. I know. I know. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, my mom is back on the show. Um, we know how every much everyone loved the Tombstone episode. Uh, seriously, we actually did get a lot of good feedback on the Tombstone episode. Good to know. Um, and so uh, when I told mom of the movie that we were doing... Um, she pretty much demanded that she needed to be on. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I bullied you into letting me be on the episode. It's all right. Uh, but before we get into it... Uh, Story of your life, right, Rain? That's all right. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, so Jeremy, you got to tell the people the masterpiece that we we watched, that we that we made our friend group watch last night. We've mentioned it on the show before, I'm sure, because... Oh, guys- for sure. You guys keep bullying me for liking this movie so much. We watched a B movie last night. Uh, <laughs> the B movie, of course, Jerry Seinfeld's uh, master. It's better than Seinfeld. Um, is masterpiece. Uh, listen, all jokes aside, I genuinely love this movie. I well, enjoyed puns, and and then um, Alex blew. My yeah, mind I was today. gonna say Alex. Alex blew our minds last night. Oh that all of the lady bees have beehive haircuts and all of the men bees have buzz cuts. Boom. See, this, this movie's got layers. This movie's very nuanced. And, it's <laughs> and it, you know, it also has a vocal cameo from the late, great Ray Liotta. Now Ray Liotta. See, it's Ray Liotta's best movie also. Um... <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, um, so we just needed to share that we watched it was and great. ladies and gentlemen, this is what millennials love. I never said I loved this movie. Coming from a Gen Xer, like millennials uh, love B movie. I'm okay. With my that. my work, the, the like, like that movie has a suicide joke in it. It's a, it's a kids mm-hmm. movie and it has a suicide joke in it. Like, <laughs> anyway, anyway, you understand the counselor, the the teenage counselor in me is like. Don't talk about it, Rain. Oh yeah, don't don't worry. He'll he'll censor himself like he did. <laughs> no, you you deserve the censor, and that's a story that I will not retell on the right because then again. I'll have to censor you again. Uh, down with censorship, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. Anyway, well, so since it's also been a week since the last episode, because uh, Jeremy had to go out of town again. Um. In case you forgot, we are discussing 2019's Uncut Gems. Um, again, if you've been following the theme, uh, this is my pick. I had not seen this movie, so I'm the only one here who this was my first time seeing it. Oh, and you know, as we always, you know, when one of us hasn't seen it, what we open with, what'd you think? I mean, it was great, man. You know, I've I've seen. Good time. Good time was awesome. Um, this movie definitely wasn't as anxiety ridden as Good Time because Good Time starts and you're already 
on the edge of your seat and it does not let up. Not agreeing with um, but Uncut Jim's, I felt like was it was the last forty five minutes. I was the most anxious. Um, oh my god, Mickey is so mad at you. <laughs> um, so much to say right now. But so that's but that's not to say I hated it. No, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, Adam Sandler was robbed. Um, Agreed. So Adam, if you're listening, I mean, I know he's listening. Um, you were robbed, my man. He and I won Best Actor that year. Do you guys know? Hmm? Who won Best Actor that year? 2019, right? It was 2019. 2019. Um, um, didn't Parasite win Best Picture? No, but pa- Parasite was wrong. 2018, wasn't it? 2018? Yeah. Damn. God. Thank well, you, I mean, COVID-19. It says it was released in 2019. Fucking up my timeline. Oh. Best Actor. Oh, well... So Rami Malek. Oh, Rami I was just Malik. about to say, was yeah, it was Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody? Rhapsody? Yeah. I mean, okay. I know Jeremy, you did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? I did. Okay. I know you had your opinions on it, but I mean, look, listen. No offense <laughs> to Rami, but it definitely should have gone out. A hundred percent. Um Adam was completely out of his wheelhouse. Of course. I again, I'm the only one here who hasn't seen Punch Drunk Love, um, but I just I loved that he that he he just killed it. He just killed it the whole time, whole time. Uh, and you really uh, I don't know, but to answer your question, Jeremy, yeah, I, I really I really liked it. It just wasn't I wasn't as anxious as I was Have watching you, Good Time. Can may I interject? Yes. So I heard you say that you've not seen Adam Sandler in a role of this neighbor nature except for Punch Drunk Love, but what about the Mayorwitz stories? I've started it. I haven't finished it. Okay. Um, so, I do love I do love Noah Bombach. So let's just give him some props. I mean the man has some dramatic chops. I would yeah. say did, even did you hear that rhyme? Jeremy, did you hear that rhyme? I did. <laughs> okay, thank you. you just <laughs> need to be acknowledged. Even in Big Daddy, I think that he had some dramatic. Uh, there were some moments, yeah, and oh, maybe yeah. that was the the precursor to <laughs> all of this dramatic stuff that he can do. Yeah. Like he's got a range, you know how we say that, you know, like actors or stand up. Like, let's look at Robin Williams for a minute. He's an Academy yeah. Award winner, God rest his soul. But he had a range. Like, have you you know his stand up? You've mm-hmm. seen his stand-up from back in the day when he was a coke-riddled stand-up comedian all the way to The Life According to Garp, one of my favorite films, I have to be honest. Um, work with me. Jeremy, I know you've got this. Um, um, Carpe Diem, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. Mm-hmm. One-hour photo. Uh, yeah, the, the man had a range. So why not Adam Sandler? Do you think do you think people had this idea of him because of all the not all of them, but a lot of the really bad comedies he's done? Like Jack and I wouldn't Jill. call them I wouldn't call them bad. The only bad comedy that man's ever done is Little Nicky. <gasps> Just <sighs> Stand down, suckers. Stand uh, down. It was it was Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill was his worst movie. Well, 
and, and, and coincidentally, speaking of Adam's range, as we looked up last night, the only comedy he did after this was Hubie Halloween. And then he did Hustle, which as which Jeremy and I... excellent. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but Jeremy and I looked it up and we saw that it's it's crushing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Super feel good. Super feel good. Um, right in his alley with regard to who he is, the essence of who we know Adam Sandler to be, that real... Um, relaxed kind of guy. We know he loves basketball and his personal life. And so you can really see um, that passion in this character. So yeah, definitely check it out. But yeah. So, so let's, let's get going with Uncut Gems. Uh, Jeremy, would you like to give us a synopsis? Sure. Um, now I, I will say um, to piggyback off of Hustle, you in a different way, we can see his love and passion for basketball in this yeah. movie, which is a, a little bit of a different spectrum, uh, yeah. which again, brings on a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the tension, but uh, okay. So um, the synopsis really is as simple as this, this film is about a man trying to, trying to succeed and be successful and trying to provide for him and his family the best way he can. And the best way he can is the worst way possible, which is uh, gambling and and finding shortcuts. This man doesn't want to do it the normal way. This man is, he is, he is, he's almost, he, he embodies He's the personification of a gambling addict um, mm-hmm. in, 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 in this film in such a unique way and in, in such a real, visceral way. Um, but in, in doing so, he buys this, this opal uh, from Ethiopia and uh, shows it to a very prominent basketball star, uh, Kevin Garnett. Um, Kevin Garnett wants it. Um, he can't sell it, of course, because he is going to sell it at auction for what he thinks is going to be over a million dollars. And with some with some sort of verbal contract, he lets Garnett take it. Garnett holds it for too long. He he owes a a mile long list uh, long of people. He he owes the money. Right. And so we, we have people asking for money over here and then asking people for money over here. He's still dealing with the auction people. He is trying to still work at uh, the jewelry store that he, that he runs. And then uh, he's still trying to get the opal back from Kevin Garnett. And then he finally gets the opal back. And then he, listen, it's impossible to do a proper synopsis without just diving right in. But I will say that uh, I don't even want to touch the ending yet until we get no, there. No, not at all. Um, but it does all culminate in a, a very a cathartic ending for, mm. for our character at first. Uh, it, or you could argue forever uh, that he finally got his catharsis <laughs> and, and uh, you know, never gets to let that um, <laughs> And a, a finally, a final victory for him, which is something that he has been 
really lacking throughout most of the film, but that's sort of convoluted. There was also a weird uh, love story in there with his mistress. So let's go ahead and... Uh, it works uh, for him. So uh, so with that, Jeremy, uh, do, do we just want to... Should we just start with the character of Howard? I mean, that's going to be that's going to be six hours. But yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, Mom, I, I want you to take this one. I want because you 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 definitely seem like you have a love, especially for this character. So I'll let you lead us into who Howard is. So with no disrespect to any people who are in our lives, Rain who have an addiction. Mm-hmm. Howard was really relatable to me just simply because of his, the addiction that he has to gambling and high stakes living that he's not even aware of. Um, but to circle back, can do we have a moment to talk about a little bit of symbolism in that opening shot? Uh, like I... Yeah. Okay, so the credits are still rolling on the bottom left-hand side of the screen, and we're watching these Ethiopians bringing one of their comrades up out of this mine. Uh, Everybody's up in arms, Um, and when we finally get to the place where we're figuring out what's happening, we see this man who's got this horrible wound on his leg, and we're thinking that that that's what the situation is, that everybody's up in arms about this man being wounded. And I don't know if you know anything about um, blood diamonds, but this really is good symbolism, I feel like, from the very beginning through the whole entirety of the movie. There's just so much symbolism that happens here. But Blood Diamonds, just to kind of just give a quick and dirty what I understand of it to be, um, that Ethiopians and others mine these diamonds, but they're willing to die or not willing to die, but they do die because they get paid, you know, what you and I, we both know, all of us know is not a livable wage, but they're willing, they die for these things. They're blood diamonds. We mine these diamonds. We're selling them at huge prices while these people who are mining them are dying for them. Blood diamonds. Same situation with the opal. So we're seeing this man who's wounded. His comrades are very affected by it. But then we see these two shady, sketchy guys who might be on somebody else's payroll, go back into the mine They find the opal that is the underlying theme of this entire movie as far as a substance is concerned. But the cool thing about it is, is that the camera goes really close in on the beauty of this opal. And we start going into the different facets and layers of this uncut gem. That's the name of the movie. Oh my God, who would have thought? But we go in to the many facets of this uncut gem until it finally pans out to Howard having a colonoscopy. And as a 51-year-old woman, I can say that I've had one of those. It's not a pleasant experience. And so we're really setting up the nature of the character of Howard and so many other things that this movie embodies. But what's super cool is that there's this imagery that's happening as it 
pans out and we see that him getting the colonoscopy, it's such a metaphor for everything that espouses Howard and his character. Um, he is, like Jeremy said earlier, he is this driven guy who's trying to provide for not only his family, but let me add to what you said earlier, Jeremy, but his mistress, Julia. So he's trying to provide for all of these separate households, provide for his books, provide for all of the debt that he owes. But the symbolism behind that opal turning into his colon is, boom, a slap in the face. Here is Howard, and we already know that his life is a shit show. <laughs> it is a shit show. Later down, a couple of scenes later, he's trying to show Kevin Garnett. 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 It's a jewel, right? Okay, I'm reaching. I'm reaching. I'm reaching. Rain would say that. But he's trying to show Kevin Garnett and his entourage all these awesome pieces of jewelry that he has. He's got the Furbies moving its eyes, talking about how he started that shit. Kevin's not interested. The opal comes in. Eventually, he tells Kevin Garnett that they say you they say you can see the whole world in opals or the whole universe in opals. And again, another metaphor for how shitty Howard's life is. And it just keeps going on and on and on. The theme of this really big hearted guy who's just trying to do the right thing by everybody around him, family, mistress, business, his books, all of this. He's trying to do the right thing. He's a big hearted guy, but he just keeps missing the mark. And as an audience, we feel sorry for this guy. We feel sorry for him. Like we want him to win, but he keeps making shitty choices one after the other, but it doesn't keep us from loving him. Big Jew personality, <laughs> big Jew personality. And there's a lot of interactions between him and his family members and his employees that make us love him. But at the end of it all, and we'll talk about the ending later, um, we see how that serves him. Great likable character. Shitty situation. Well, and, you know, we should also mention that from the opening sequence, we cut to two years later without mm -hmm. even knowing we cut to two years later. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so. So it's taken this long for him to get the opal to him. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So, you know, I remember hearing something about the movie. You know, it's funny that you would say that Howard is a very likable character. Um, I remember reading somewhere or maybe hearing it from someone saying that they actually didn't like Howard, which I could see. I mean. That's because they have no the point of reference to loving someone who's got an addiction. Well, I mean, we see that in his, in his wife played by, you know, Elsa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Elsa. Is that all you've got to say about that? Elsa? Yeah. 
that's you know and, and uh, you know, sure and you know and and john travolta Minsel. you know pronounced her name wrong at the oscars how did you say it she was um she gave a surprising performance i thought i thought it was great i thought she was great oh yeah she was spot yeah. on Something that it's it's in Dina, right? In Dina, I think it's in Dina yeah. Menzel. I don't know. Dina Menzel. But John said something, not that. Um. So well, he's with, an old guy. He had to shave his head. With with Howard, so in the director's commentary, they they talk about Howard is the uncut gem that they're referring to. He is, um, he is a character that is meant to be loved despite of the flaws, right? Mm. He is, again, nothing he is doing is out of malice. He is doing everything he can to do the right thing, as you were saying. And it's, it's just the choices he makes to do the right thing is never the right one. Not Uh, a lot of common sense in this guy. Even, even when it pans out for him, it wasn't the right call. Um, As we see in the ending. Well, yeah. And even before that, when he wins <laughs> that first bet um, and you think that finally he can pay off these guys, but they went and stopped the bet uh, shortly after he made it. And so he, he didn't win because he didn't get the money, right? The bet was mm-hmm. terminated, right? So um but I really liked that they were like, you know, from the opal to the colonoscopy, we're insinuating that that really the uncut gym isn't this opal. It, it's Howard. Howard is meant to be this this personification of an uncut gym. Sure. And, and, and that theme goes from those opening shots where we have our opening credits running to the very end. So, Rain, that's where I disagree with you. I mean, I think the tension is really set from that very beginning shot all the way to the the end of it all. Well, um, well, I, I just meant like I wasn't. So, in you know, in our in the intro, I said you know about uh, good time. You know, good time ramps up at at a ten already and then it escalates to an 11 and then a 12 um you know jeremy i think you would agree with me on that oh, what? um now i did automatically feel the tension <laughs> but i wasn't like my heart wasn't already racing sure. um which you know the safties are fantastic at you know good time is <laughs> it's, it's absolutely agree it's anything but a good time but I didn't my I didn't feel my heart start racing until the last 45 because the whole time I was sitting there, I was literally like rubbing my face because I was just like Howard. <laughs> Stop. Just take the W. You won, take it. Like Which what is are good you doing? Because it means you're never gonna be a gambling act because you can't handle it. Yeah, oh right? absolutely not. Absolutely I, not. Hey, Jeremy, as as the mother here, he's a merchandise addict. He always <laughs> has been I, I created a monster when i put him in front of it and yeah. cats when he was very tender and i'm sure people would be like what kind of parent are you for doing this to him well, but i, I put mean, him in front of it when he was like it's right there I don't know. <laughs> and and i created this monster so you know i yeah. so in regards with the tension so the safties as you said are if if 
almost created a long form genre. So what I mean by that is, is there, there will be moments in film and moments in television. Um, most recently in the bear, if anyone hasn't seen Jeremy Allen White uh, in the bear, which is phenomenal. I've been, uh, there are I've, moments in there where the tension is so high. There are seven things happening at once. He is, everybody's talking at the same time, but then it's over. Right. Mm. The Safties have created a, their own sort of high tension drama genre where we take that and we extend it a length of a film where yes, there might be a few moments of let's catch our breath, but not for very long. But only to be shoved right back into it. Right. And I think it's only to, if you're in it too long, you become numb to it. So you need to have these moments of slow or this, these moments of normalcy and then we'll jump you right back. You need to remember what it was like mm-hmm. beforehand to jump you sure. right into it, right? And they've perfected this. And I, I, again, in good time, I think the tension and those moments were were expanded even longer. I think that's what Rain is talking about, where the the moments of of levity and uh, and of and of catching our breath are very few and further between. Uh, in good time where here again the story's different right so in good time which we'll probably do an episode on later but oh, 100%. Is, is literally someone just trying to escape right mm. which is very stressful here it's moments of making bad decisions and living with these bad decisions and having them having those chickens come to roost and then we slow oh and then, oh, we forgot about this one. And now it's back up. And oh, okay. And then we're back up, right? So one of the main ones that, and I just love how the Safties have perfected uh, the, the art of establishing. We are establishing Kevin Garnett is leaning on the glass. Okay, cool. We're going to keep reminding you that he's leaning on the glass. But while we're doing that, there are... There are about seven people too many in this room. And so we got to get people out of the way. Okay, now we got to take his earrings. Okay, now we were showing him these other things. Okay, oh, wait, don't lean on the glass. Okay, now I'm going to tell you the story about the opal. Here, hold the opal. Now, Okay, don't lean on the glass. Okay, now we're going to go over here. Now uh, Lakeith is trying to do something with watches. Okay, hey, remember, don't lean on the glass. Okay, here we go. And then it breaks, right? And the way the Safties have in that scene in particular, which I think is extremely high tension is there's seven things happening at once, but we know everything that's happening, which is why we're so stressed out because we feel as if we, the audience has to keep track of those things as well. Not only does Howard have to keep track because, you know, it's his place and he, he has put himself in charge of managing all of these things, but so are we, the audience. And so uh, there are lots of examples of that in the movie, but this is, I think, one of the main ones. And of course, the the fun fact is they didn't tell them when they were going to blow the glass. And so they, they oh, just they did didn't? it. And so everyone's like, they, Whoa! They, didn't, they didn't tell Garnett when they were going to blow the glass? No, they, they knew it was going to happen, but they didn't know when. So his reaction was yeah, genuine then. Was, yeah. Right on, right on. I didn't know that. And, 
and of course that that flash of moments from his life and the pictures from Kevin Garnett's real mm-hmm. childhood and his life that was genius I it was it was something I didn't expect right because yes this is a real person's fictional story but we're adding more realism to it by and apparently he doesn't have very many photos of himself as a child so that took a while but um anyway so the tension I'll have you talk now yeah you know and what's funny is i i I really i guess i i guess i didn't feel the tension that much in that scene because that's kind of what it's like at work sometimes especially being a manager is i'm having to you know when the store has a lot of people in i'm like all right like you know we're working on this but then we need to do that and then like you know this guy's on the phone you know so I guess I felt kind of at home with that tension, so I didn't pick up on it. Um, can can I argue with you for a minute, Rain? Hmm. So I think for I think for you and I to circle back to that level of tension that you're comfortable with, I feel like that maybe you and I are more comfortable with it. I, I think it's let me let me back up. So I think that level of tension is probably there from the very beginning and understand that I took a film analysis class. And so I tend to look at everything, you know, through this microscope where I can see the symbolism coming in from the very beginning. That sounds super arrogant, but it's not. It's just kind of like watching a movie with my producer husband how he sees, oh, that's going to cost a lot of insurance and that's going to be this, and that's costing this. But I'm wondering if maybe your comfort level isn't so much as an adult working as a manager in retail, but just because of maybe your upbringing. Um, like I said before, no disrespect to anybody that we may know who has an addiction, but you kind of came up in that environment. And then I was... I played the role as a person who wanted to buffer you from that. So maybe for me, I'm able to see the tension from the very beginning. Cause I recognize that in my being, you are so accustomed to it that maybe you didn't pick up on it until it became super obvious. Now, again, that's I'm reaching, but um, to kind of, put things into perspective through the everyman lens that I think that one of the reasons why we're so in love uh, and love's not right in love with Howard or what we perceive Howard to be is because there's some level, I think of relatability there for the average audience member. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's a piece of him that we can all relate to as audience goers. Maybe we don't have an addiction, but maybe we know somebody who does, or we know somebody who knows somebody, or maybe we've just been um, spun out in some sort of way. I'm just, you know what I mean? I mean, like maybe he's just an approachable guy from, a real life perspective based on our own experience. I mean, maybe, I mean, I mean, it's a possibility. Uh, I mean, you know, life imitates art 
or art imitates life, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, so, I mean, I don't, again, kind of going back to everything I, I did pick up on the tension, but I just, it wasn't making me feel anxious. Um, but again, what was making me feel anxious is all the decisions that Howard subsequently makes throughout the movie. Um, Dude, when he pawns Garnett's ring. Immediately. Oh, like, what are you doing, buddy? I know like he, that was just supposed to be you're holding that while he plays with uh, the fucking opal in his pocket. Oh, my he God. He found it as an immediate way to make money. Right. Absolutely. He's like, OK. And of course, he has so much confidence where it comes from. I don't know. But he's just like, I'm confident that I can pawn this. And well, because he saw how the opal affected Garnett. So he goes, if I pawn this, get some cash, make a bet on him winning tonight, I'm good. And then I can get the ring back. He's none the wiser and I've made money, you know? Yeah. And he's paid his jeweler. Which I can pay to Arlo. (laughs) Right. Right. It's it's what I assumed all the tags on his shirt were for. Uh, The the director said that it's to, he's just throwing stuff on and he's not even realizing there are tags. I saw it as I can wear it once and go return it, make my money back. Exactly. You know, that's what I I agree with that. Um, he's just always finding a quick way to either save money, make money, whatever, right? Yes, I agree uh, with that. But dude, yeah, when he paused that ring, Jesus Christ. Like, are you out of your mind, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kevin Garnett's going to beat the shit out of you. Um, Rightfully so. And what was so, that quote? The quote that was in that whole entire scene, he says, so look, let's fucking bet on this. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's fucking bet on this. Yeah, yeah. He's just constantly, you know, trying to one up his last win or or trying to get back to even, which is even worse. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. In in that realm of gambling, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say before we move on to his next decision, you know, we get that little we get that little line when he calls Arno about how they took a twenty thousand dollar watch from him and he wants that deducted from the hundred. Apparently they never do that. So, well, know. and again, it's just like it was so chaotic. They probably didn't realize it. Then you know it could have happened or whatever. And and you know again, he's just trying everything he can to get that number lower, right? Yeah. That he, that he owes him. Um, well, and maybe Rain's right. Maybe they never deducted it because, yeah. as far as Arlo is concerned, you fucking owe me that in right. interest. Yeah. But I agree with you, Jeremy. Anything to get that number lower. Anything I'm going to scheme. I'm going to fucking scheme. <laughs> so, well, here, let's let's press pause on his decision just for a second. And let, let's talk about his, his biggest debt, which is $100,000 to Arno, who I love how they reveal it's his brother-in-law. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, from the get-go, we've been hearing about this guy named Arno. And he owes him $100,000. Arlo earlier. My bad. Ah, that's all good. Um, and then, you know, Arno picks him up in a black SUV, very, very mafia style. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the Passover, we learn that Arno is his brother-in-law. So... Love at that some, series. Yeah, so at some point, 
he asked his brother-in-law for $100,000, which as we learned, he used to get the opal smuggled to New York. But I guess unlike some of his other debts, Arno was like, well, I want that back immediately. And usually it works. Well, right. But, but it's like Arno didn't give him any time to try to say like, well, Hey, I can not only pay you back, but I can give you more. And Arno just seemed like, kind of like, well, I want that hundred K back. We'll get to it eventually, obviously, but Arno is also struggling with bad decision-making because Mm -hmm. he's hired these guys. He's completely out of his realm. Uh, by hiring these guys that he really shouldn't have. And I think he doesn't do a lot of research when he hires people, you know, Um, because there's no betting downfall also. Right. Yeah. So, And that guy's terrifying. Oh yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil's the worst. He's so scary. (laughs) He's so unpredictable. And again, that's what makes that first Kevin Garnett interaction. So, uh, so, hard to sit through is he's also arguing he's slapping people. He's, you know, he's a tough guy and he's, you know, bringing the anxiety level way up because he's bringing an energy in here. That's, you know, very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Arno. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was going to talk about that too, that, you know, Arno hires these thugs pretty much to intimidate uh, Howard into giving him his money back. Um, and it just escalates, which further drives home the point of we think that um, Howard's got money out from like the mafia or something because they follow him pretty much the first half of the movie. And They're then we learn that he's just his brother-in-law. You could yeah. never loan money to family. Yeah. And it's um, which could probably also play into why uh, Dinah. Adina Menzel um, is leaving Howard too, because would you, or do you think she knows that he owes Arno a hundred thousand? She knows from the very beginning. What does she say? I think you are the most annoying person I have ever met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, one of the co-writers. And your annoying face. <laughs> one of the co-writers, his mom used to do that every uh, every Passover's put on her bat mitzvah dress, by the way. That was something that he took from his own life. And, and the Sapis are Jewish as well. And so the the uh, the the Passover is extremely traditional. So is the thing that the, the, that they're doing uh, when uh, Howard and his dad, Judd Hirsch, very exciting. Yeah, I um, love that dude. <laughs> we're sitting watching basketball and the kids were looking for something. Uh, apparently that's a Jewish tradition also in another offshoot of Judaism. It, it depends on how devout you are, I think, um, or how traditional you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that they bring in their own uh, religious ideologies to Howard's character as a whole. Cause not only is he a gambler, a, a jeweler, uh, a cheater, but he's also devout Jewish, right? Is it is devout to Judaism? Well, I mean, but the but that also it's also a very Adam Sandler thing to do as well. Because yeah. <laughs> we have to appreciate that Adam Sandler is Jewish. Because yeah, because most of his characters uh, that he plays are usually typically Jewish. Typically, yeah. I would, assume. or at least if it's not explicitly 
said, I would just assume so. Yeah, we yeah. just assume so because we know Adam Sandler so well. Yeah, I, except for little funny. Nikki. I, I don't think I don't think oh. Nikki is a Jewish character. <laughs> but I, again, that that it's the perfect worst cast. movie ever. Anyway, okay, so so back to <laughs> moving on. So back to Howard's decisions. So so yeah, so he pawns Kevin Garnett's ring immediately. Um. And I think the, the, his next decision that really uh, amped up for me is his, his jumping to conclusions and attacking the weekend at the weekend's own party. My God, I fucking love that. I, I love that. One of my favorite quotes in the whole entire film as when he references the weekend with Julia and he's like, who's this guy? And she's like, it's the weekend. And he goes, this guy looks stupid. <laughs> he's not, he's not too far off. Like, I just, I just love that. This guy looks stupid. And then he gets so all this machismo just builds up and he's got to kick this guy's ass on his territory. Terrible fight, by the way. Both of them just awful. Um, because you have a point of reference. Because we know the weekend. Howard is a fictional character. Kevin Garnett is a real person. Like, how does this fictional character, who's got so much fucking tension just built in to his whole entire being and universe, like every tiny fiber of his body? Yeah, so, you know. I thought that was, you know, obviously they, they picked 2012. They were writing it at that time, but also they needed the games. Right. And they needed, you know, obviously for them to, they have to manipulate when, when Howard sees what, whatever, blah, 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 that stuff. So it's all like, and who's big. And yeah. And so it's like, um, having the weekend in there was an interesting choice. I thought because well, the uh, somebody said it. Oh, Julia said it. He he's not a big deal. He's from Canada. Oh <laughs> so yeah, cause, clearly. Yeah, because he hadn't done. Um, I don't think he had done Beauty and the Madness yet, uh, and so he didn't really pop off. I mean, like he was already. I mean, he was popular, but like he didn't like. In Canada. Yeah, yeah, he hadn't done uh, Beauty Behind the Madness yet. So that, that wouldn't be for another three years. And then then that's when he would skyrocket. Apparently, he was actually like that when he started, like kind of a punk, sort of like, I'm not performing until there's black lights up. So you better do it or else. You know, apparently he was like that. And so he was he had a lot of fun, according to the director's commentary, uh, reverting back to when he was sort of an asshole. <laughs> well, and also, <laughs> he had, I'm and, sure and he a, had to wear a, a wig. And a total coke fiend. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in 2019, wasn't he still wearing his hair mm-mm. like that? In 2019, he, he was he was on his uh, he he's he had started his after hours look, so growing out oh. his afro and his beard and um, but uh, stupid hair back on. That's nice. <laughs> well, I mean, he I did that's that. why that guy looks stupid. Yeah, I agree with that Howard. Looks stupid. I mean, uh, that's what he had to do for his Starboy uh, album 
album cycle. Anyway, we're not talking about the weekend. Um, I fucking love that album, by the way. Oh yeah, Starboys. I mean, granted, amazing. I, I think his albums just got better. I think after um, Dawn FM is amazing. Anyway, dude, for a Gen Xer, Starboy was. Thank you, The Weeknd. Thank you. Anyway, uh, I think the reason why that uh, that scene in particular gives me such anxiety is kind of like what you said, Mom, is, you know, we know who The Weeknd is. Howard's fictional. But I think also because it was also slightly surreal because we know The Weeknd is a real person and Adam Sandler is playing this character. And so The Weeknd, you know, just having to go in his mindset is like, okay, there's Adam Sandler. I have to pretend he's someone completely different and I'm me. But did you ever think that Adam Sandler was anything but Howard through the whole entire film? Oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, exactly. Um, after they filmed that fight scene, he said that he and Bob Barker have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? Well, that's what he says to Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. I know. No, he, he tells Bob Barker, um, the price is right. right. The price is right. No, 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 no. Let's make a deal. He's like, you know, after this, you know, I, I bet you get that all the time on let's make a deal. And he's like, it's the price is right. And he's like, oh, bitch. sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, um, yeah, so I, I liked that we're really, you know, with the, the fact that they were able to keep a phone with that original iOS, by the way, that was, mm-hmm. that was, um, yeah that Apple had not created iMessage yet. Keeping it, uh, keeping it grounded with the, cause you know, you have to maintain this level of it's 2012, right? Mm-hmm. And as not long ago as that was, there's a lot of things that are very different. Well, and there's no audience member that I've ever met. Or when I say no audience member, I'm talking about myself. When I go see a movie, I do not want to be pulled out of the story by a continuity error. Oh, yeah. Ever so is um yeah. is good time set in a specific time period or is it is it present. whenever the present yeah um right the present Jeremy let's find out <laughs> Google it okay um but but while Jeremy's googling but yeah so it's that was when my anxiety first kind of ramped up um because even though Julia was being very flirty, you know, nothing did happen. And Howard, Howard doesn't want to hear it, you know? And so, you know, attacking the weekend was his kind of like only response to, to that. And I was just like, bro, what are you doing? It's modern day. Also, I don't, I would disagree that nothing happened. I mean, she was going for it. Oh, and, no, no. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Now, whether <laughs> she or not, was a non discerning mistress. <laughs> whether or not she was doing it for Howard's benefit to get in good with the weekend so he can come to the shop and blah, 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 blah um, is sort of ambiguous. I think it's up to you to decide whether or not Julia was. Uh, doing it for the good of Howard or for the good of herself. Who knows? So let, I want to know, I'm curious, Jeremy, about what, what is your take on that whole entire interaction? Was she doing it for the good of Howard? I mean, knowing what we know about Julia through the entire film and, and including the ending, which we haven't gotten to, but eventually 
barring no more technical difficulties, we will eventually get to. What do you think? Oh man, it's so it's it's difficult because Julia's sort of like you she's almost ride or die, right? Because for whatever oh. reason, for whatever reason, she's very much into Howard. I don't know. Well, um, you know, and she even gets a tattoo with his name on her. So it's true. So it's like maybe she was it was sort of a way for her to like have her cake and eat it to do something nice for Howard with also like getting, you know, some altruistic getting with the weekend, you know, yeah, couldn't hurt also. Um, I'd, I'd like to think she actually was doing it for for Howard's benefit. Getting but it with the nothing weekend. goes right for this guy. I know. Nothing goes right for him. So why not this underbelly theme of even his mistress fucks around on him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, and how that scene is shot too, it's very, you know, it's very intimate. It's just Julia and the weekend. And, you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure. And, and to bring up, that's a good point, though, Ray. You're talking about the intimacy between the weekend and Julia, but then the whole kind of like the fight scene is chaotic, which is what we've kind of come to understand by the midpoint in the movie that that is kind of Howard's life. There's there's not going to be a moment of respite once. To circle back to what Rain said is like at the very beginning, and even you, Jeremy, you said at the very beginning, it was kind of a, a slow build up to tension. But by the midpoint of the movie, it is like Howard is nonstop moving, 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 moving. Yeah. But when this happens with Julia and The Weeknd, it's an intimate interaction between those two characters. But then even the fight scene is a little bit more, it's chaotic, but it's contained mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. i tend yeah. to reach i tend to reach uh, i tend to look for symbolism where there is no symbolism <laughs> when when a cigar is just a cigar yeah i'm well, pretty I'm, sure i said that the last time i was a guest on the podcast well, <laughs> i mean pretty sure we'll have a feel, well and i feel like we could least i'm consistent i feel like we could blame francis Ford coppola about that you know making symbolism out of an orange you didn't do that on purpose. All right. So but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, we digress. So great movie, by the way. I don't want to talk about. I'm I'm probably jumping around, but um, the actual auction. Yeah. No, I was I was actually going to say. Okay, we should, is that we're going next because that's that's the other decision he makes that gave me so much anxiety because, you know, so it was, so we had the reveal of Arno as his brother-in-law, um, and his father-in-law Gooey. Uh, great name. I love Gooey. Um, I loved Gooey. He, he, you know, he's got some money. He's got some cash. He does. From what I don't know, I don't even think they said what he did for a living. But yeah, he's a little mobster. He's yeah, whatever he is, mobster. he's successful. Whatever he is, successful uh, to a certain extent. And yeah, you know, auctions, depending on how you know what the stakes are, are pretty stressful anyway. Uh, but you know, having this um, this unfortunate evaluation of the opal, which, of course, at the beginning of the movie, we were led to believe by Howard that it's over a million dollars, right? This thing is mm-hmm. priceless. Right. One of and, a kind find. And it turns out these guys know what they're talking about. 
uh, and they evaluated it at what, like a hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's like one hundred twenty-five to one hundred fifty-five thousand dollars, and you can't even buy a house for that, people. And of course, um, I, <laughs> I love Howard talking to Tilda Swinton, by the way. Um, oh, really? On the phone and pretending, you know, it's that classic. It's almost like slapstick. It's that classic, like, okay, yeah, no, yeah, okay. So we'll go ahead and do it. And she's like, no, we're not going to do it. Quit. Stop. It. It's like, okay, cool. I really appreciate. He thought that was going to work. Number one, which is pretty funny. It, it, it's alluding to his desperation, of course. Yeah. Um, but asking Gooey to bet against Kevin Garnett to up the up the price. Holy shit. Man, that that gave me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, because we're getting to really see this addiction and poor little Howard. We just want him to win so bad. But there comes a time where we start like kind of backing off from that empathy, sympathy that we're having for him. When we start to realize this guy's fucked. He is fucked. He is so gone. There's no help in this guy. Yeah, there's these are isolated incidents. These are continuous patterns. Yeah, these are more, yes, more and more and more layers of consequences because of his shitty choices. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and and the plan backfires, you know. And what's funny is 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 Gooey tells him beforehand, he's like, I'm not gonna do that. Because because what if he what if what if I do outbid him? Then I'm out this money. And <laughs> yeah. Howard's like, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. And it happens. And yeah, the, and the whole time I was just like, oh my God, like Howard. And I think what ramps up is you know, as the theme we've been talking about of tension, we see Arno and his goons walk in as Gooey is betting against kevin and so you're like oh my god now arno's gonna see that howard roped his father into his little schemes in law well wait arno's also gooey is also arno's father-in-law yes no yeah because it it doesn't matter what difference does it make anyway no what that's right because arno is dina's brother because he's that would mean that would mean gooey is his father okay i'm sorry that's my bad i I, again let me interject where i need to just listen i um i like how even when to backtrack even when someone speaks ill of someone that's causing howard so much grief howard's sticks up for them, right? So yeah, at Passover, uh, Gooey talks shit about Arno, and he goes, hey, man, it's, you know, he's trying to, or whatever, right? It's like, what? Dude. you know, he's such a, he's such a genuinely good guy that <laughs> when, when his son goes up to the apartment with him to use the bathroom, he talks to the gentleman, who I believe he's playing himself, by the way, that actor, um, and and asked to use the restroom and he says no his son goes what an asshole and he goes hey man that guy's a legend yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know until um the other guy who lets his son in um was talking about howard's mistress and of course the son's like hey man what is he talking about a a hot chick living in your house that mom he goes well that cokehead don't listen to anything he says right until it's 
literally affecting his life, then he's just like because we're not gonna like we're not gonna bad guys and add it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I just love that they they've given they've given Howard this this trait of always you know of never letting something affecting him affect the way he sees other people. Like those, it's like, it's almost like he is, he sees that he's the one making these awful decisions and he's doing it to himself there. They have nothing to do with it. It's my fault, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, so I guess that that helps us with our empathy for Howard. Also Howard's not oblivious to his part in these decision making. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so after the the auction, yeah, this is when my anxiety really started to ramp up because the movie, you know, really is ramping up with this because everything's all about to come to a head. You know, um, Arno is pretty much like, um, I want my money. You have till the end of the day. Uh, and Howard's like, hey, it's all good. Like, gooey, I'm going to get you your 190 back. Uh, Kevin Garnett's going to come buy this. Arno, we're all good. You know, and we think, and we think that everything is going to be over and we can finally breathe. Right. Uh, and then we see Howard make the worst decision that anyone in his position, uh, anyone in his position should have made. So Kevin finally buys the Opal, uh, for 165,000. So, by my math, if they actually didn't deduct the two twenty thousand dollar watch that they took from him, he still made sixty five thousand um, dollars, which is what he could use to pay Gooey once he gives Gooey back his one hundred ninety. But he decides, as he's showing Kevin all the bets, he decides, you know what? We're gonna, I'm gonna bet on you, Kevin. I know. You know, and of course, Kevin is even kind of like, like, man, you're crazy. Don't do that. Which, which I loved. Kevin, by the way, is portrayed in this case as very level-headed. He understands the game, meaning when, when he takes the Opal the first time, Howard asks for collateral, he immediately takes off his ring and goes, okay, I understand. I'll be back later. You know, there's no fighting it. There's no... Yeah, well, because there's, there's... I mean, at the end of the day, Kevin Garnett has zero skin in the game yeah like he he's not hurting for money he doesn't owe, and if he owes money to bookies he's got some which he doesn't he's never going to bet against himself if he does owe money to books which he doesn't so he's a professional athlete and we know how much money they make yeah i just like and even no, even with when he understands how crazy Howard is, because he's just like, no, man, are you? No, we're not going to bet right now. Are you crazy? You just he's almost like he's us at that moment. He's like, dude, yeah. you just got your money. What are you doing? You know, so you just made sixty five thousand dollars. I'm so interjecting and talking over the top of you, Jeremy, which is what I do. Ask, ask your wife. <laughs> um, Wait, I'm the wife. Rain, yes. Yeah. Everybody knows that, Rain. Yeah, right. So just to, to piggyback on that, one of my very favorite quotes is from Lakeith Stanfield, who plays Demani, who is like, or Demani, who is 
Howard's hype guy, his quasi assistant, Garnett is asking, who, who is this guy to you? Because, of course, through that entire first opening scene, when, when Demani is like selling Howard, Howard walks off screen. Garnett is like, who is this guy to you? Is he your coach? And he goes, no, he's just a fucking crazy Jew. And there you go. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Everything I, you need to know. I would see a movie about how they became not friends, but I guess like partners in a way. That would be interesting. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, by cause... the way, is amazing. In oh, yeah. And he's amazing. He does circle back though, just a, a couple of scenes later and he's like all up in Howard's face talking about how I'm going to take him elsewhere. I'm going to take him down the block. But I think, but I think at the end of the day, there was some misguided loyalty there. Like I'm going to hype you, dude. I'm going to hype you because you turn me on with your addiction to the dopamine hit. Yeah. Um, and you're high stakes, and I kind of like that. So, yeah, I'm going to threaten you because apparently threats make makes Howard work harder, faster, stronger. <laughs> He's a Nike character. <laughs> I don't know. Nike personified. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, so this is when my anxiety was, like, at a, at a 10 because he's got the money. He could, you know, a normal person – would, You're talking about Garnett has the money. No, no, no. Howard. Okay. He. Oh, he's got the money to pay his debt. Copy. Yeah. He, yeah. He has the money to pay his debt. And his and Arno is there. He could literally just walk out and be like, hey, there's your 100K. Sorry for all the runaround. See you at, you know, the next family event. Um, movie over. Boom. Credits roll. But that's not this type of movie, you know. So he makes the bet. And has Julia go because he knows if he knows that if he tries to leave right now, Arno and his goons are going to stop him. Um, so he has Julia go uh, and place the bet. And who does it willingly, even after she dumped him? Well, I mean, well, she didn't dump him. He dumped her. Well, try, he tried to dump her and then they reconciled. So. But, um, but yeah, my anxiety at this point was at a 10 because when he, you know, and, and I do appreciate that Howard admits it. Like, yeah, I could have given you the money, but I'm going to give you so much more now. So I bet it all. And it's, you're just like, oh my God, Howard. Like, Why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with you? Uh, but yeah, uh, Jeremy, what were you feeling when you first saw that? I mean, same, you know, it's, it's insane. It's ridiculous, dude. Take, take this half W man. like, don't, you know what I mean? It's fine. You're fine. Move on to something else, you know, but what the insane thing to me, which I, in movies, I love, I love hearing jargon um, that I don't understand in movies. It makes me feel dumb, but I like it because it's in, in the West Wing, it was all the, you know, all the White House jargon and 
the newsroom. It was, I guess it's basically mainly just Aaron Sorkin stuff, but in this case, it's gambling uh, and gambling shit. I don't understand at all. I, you know, I, I, when he, the thing that got me was he bet on the tip off and I go, that's so random. Why would you do that? That's, so, that's something I can comprehend that I was like, that's insane. Uh, I think a more seasoned gambler would see this and also think the bet was insane. You know, like the, like the, the statistics are way, way off to even do this bet and even come out as a winner. Right. I mean, that's too crazy. So I liked that part of the scene. Um, and of course I love, again, what I said earlier about their masters at establishing things, the door, this is when the door comes into play because the door is also a, a, a motive of anxiety in this film where you can't open this door unless that one's closed, but you're stuck in this, you know, glass box of emotion until he pushes the other button and then you can, right? And then when they're having trouble, when Garnett brings the, the gym back and then they're stuck in there and then, you know, that sort of heightened anxiety and them trying to open the door. Now we have the door working in Howard's favor by keeping these guys in there, right? When uh, Arno and the goons come in. Uh, and I he's love mocking when, them and he's mocking them through the inside door <laughs> when that filer drops and you can see there it is now he can finally see this through yeah and have them not understand only stuck, but in his mind yes in his mind he goes finally i can reason with them i can get them to understand maybe jab them a little bit in the process and then we'll be done and it'll be over right which is all he wants to do, I think. I, th- I think at that point, so much shit has gone wrong. And, and as an audience member, you're only looking at a snapshot of Howard's life. Mm-hmm. You can only assume that everything previous to this has been a shit show. And so we've been privy to seeing this tiny snapshot of Howard's life. And then we're finally getting to the place where shit might pan out for him. And so from Howard's perspective, of course, he's going to fucking jab him. He's going to poke him, poke in the bear, poke in the bear. Because he feels like he feels like he's owed that. Mm -hmm. He does. I agree. Yeah. And um, man, uh, uh, it's just and then and then of course you know that you got goons after julia you know because they figured out where he sent her and it's by the way that guy stole the show for me uh oh, a wayne long hair sunglass guy love that guy yeah <laughs> that's that's my favorite guy in the whole movie right there very uh very b movie of you <laughs> i know he's so good Mo- Moose plot no! guy. don't you bring that shite into this uh yeah yeah wayne was cracking me up and the fact that they took the time to give him a name i love too yeah. um but yeah um yeah th- this whole part my anxiety was at a 10 and i was just like this needs to stop something needs to go right um, and then, of course, you know, they keep the safties keep cutting back to Arno and his goons, you know, sweating profusely. And so that made me like even I, I was even sweating because I'm like, right. 
God. That, that, and then Arno smoked, which probably made that smell so much worse in there. I did you know? think about With the sweat and the cigarette. Mm-hmm. That actor took up smoking again just for that, by the way. Really? Yeah, he had quit. And he goes, you know what, for you guys, I'll do it again. <laughs> you guys, I'll get the lung cancer. I'll do it. That's what I mean, yeah. I'll do it. I mean, you know, come on. By the way, New York accents. Are you sat these? My, my favorite thing is to, that's why I love Dog Day Afternoon. This is why I love Goodfellas. This is why I love anything Scorsese is hearing, hearing people with really thick New York, Brooklyn accents. It's amazing. Legitimate. My legitimate yeah. accents. Yeah. yeah. Mine is just like this. No, you nailed Amalgamation. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, and, and then, and then it starts to kind of go Howard's way because Arno is finally noticing like, Hey, I think he's, I think he's onto something here. Yeah. And, you know, and Arno's painted a little bit more attention to the game and he's like, I think, I think Howard might have it. Um, which, you know, is, is so odd because, you know, the whole movie, you know, Arno is seen as I just want my money back. That's all I want is my money back. Well, and now money, he's like, man. Give him my money. Uh, and, uh, and for the first time, truly, really, since, you know, as we kind of talked about the bet that he thought he won like a ton of money on was stopped. Mm-hmm. Howard actually wins, uh, over, what is it? Like $1.2 million. There's something like that. It, it was a, a whole lot of money, a money, enough money to pay off. Sorry, Jeremy, I'm talking no, on the top fine. of you. That's what I do. Enough money to pay off his debts and then some. and get out on top. Yeah, exactly. So that he can use that money to go ahead and pay off, go ahead and gamble that way. Yeah. Yeah. And basically keep himself in the same fucking situation he's in. Yeah. Um, but to everyone's shock, that's, uh, that's not what happens. Um, mom, would you like to take this one? Damn. What the fuck just happened? No. So we're seeing this point where Howard, where shit is finally starting to shake loose for this guy, who we have this love-hate relationship for. Like, we know that this guy's got a good heart. We know that all of his intentions are geared toward being good intentions. He just makes really shitty choices. And at the very fucking end... When things are shaking loose and the guys are in the glass box and he's poking a little bit, poking the bear, the bear comes out full force. And right when we see a good ending for this guy, boom, shot in the head, just that quick. And we're like, what the fuck just happened? For me, I ugly cried for Howard. I mean, I was like, I have spent two hours of my fucking life so tense. My, my, um, oh God, what, what's the, uh, the fucking, come on, help me. Um, that's no, the hormone that re- is released when you're stressed. There, uh, well, um, 
What's stress, I don't know, but it, you finally get a little bit of serotonin when he wins, right? Yeah, but then there's this there's this level of adrenaline? Uh, whatever the hormones. No, not adrenaline. Let's oh. Google it real quick. So, oh. Rain, I'm so glad that you can fucking uh, anyway edit. well and so so you know he lets them out of the cage because he thinks like you know what they they get it they saw they saw that i won i like her calling it a cage yeah which it, it, it wasn't that. cortisol ah, sorry um and and phil we should mention phil the reason why phil does it is because he's just had enough at, of howard at this point he's had enough he's, of this job you know, yeah, this, this, shit with Howard, he hates it. This, this probably was only supposed to be maybe like a two day job and it's turned into like a week or however Four long days. it's been. Yeah. yeah. Four days. And, and he's done. And instead of, I mean, truthfully, I would have liked if the movie just ended with Howard in the hospital or something, but instead of just, yeah. instead of just beating the shit out of him, he just decides, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done with this job. And it shot in your face. Instant kill. But I think that's to circle back to what Jeremy said earlier about the Safety brothers being able to build tension to the point where you are absolutely on the edge of your seat going, when is this going to end? Not necessarily for that character, but for me, like how much more can I handle? I feel like it was the perfect ending, you know, and and as I was stating earlier, that cortisol level that we're having and that we're experiencing from maybe the midway point all the way to the end, our cortisol levels are up so high that there's one of two endings that could work. It's either going to be a happy ending, which is bullshit at this point. Like not if if there had been a happy ending at the end of this film, we would have been so disappointed. The, it ended exactly the way it should have ended. We were relieved for ourselves, for Howard. He won all this money. He's not going to fuck it up by gambling all the money that he has in surplus away. This ending was the best relief for the audience and ultimately for Howard. Uh, he 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 literally went out on a high. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't. Boom! Shot in the head, instantly dead. Pin ultimate demise. Yeah, I, I feel like he didn't even have time to even comprehend what, what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. How how great he had it made, or whatever. Well, and then of course you know it's not a happy ending for Arno because. Arno's trying to understand like what the hell, what the hell that Phil just did. Um, And he tries to get away and Phil ends up killing him. Uh, And I guess to, you know, to really like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but I can't to really, I guess, stick it to Howard, even though he, Phil just killed him. He and his buddy, you know, steal all the jewelry as I guess yeah, they recom- recompense for this job that they've probably been done with. Yeah, they probably weren't gonna I mean they just shot the guy who would pay them anyway. So yeah. And uh 
And, you know, and, and I guess it kind of left me sort of anxious too. Cause it's like, well, what's going to happen with Julie now? Like, well, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I loved about Julia's ending is that she, she ends the movie not knowing what happened to Howard, which I, which I really like. It's one of those things where, and I've talked about it before. It's, uh, you know, where I know, but they don't. Right. Right. And her getting also this sort of quasi happy ending, at least for the moment, at least for the, for the movie purposes, that she's also riding this high that, you know, they've won all this money and uh, she helped yes. them do it and all that stuff. And she, who knows what she's going to end up walking into when she goes back, but, and what's going to happen with the money, right. Mm. And what's going to happen with her is sort of ambiguous. Um, but I love what the camera does. So when, when mm. he gets shot, the camera immediately pans up as if to follow his chin, right? So his, yeah, his, his up POV. And, so the camera. and the mirrored ceiling is brilliant. And then the camera sort of does its, I mean, not its own thing. It's not like children of men or whatever, but it, it's, it, it's less stiff. It more glides at that point. It's almost as if the camera was attached to, to Howard's, you know, to Howard's life force or something, you know, or to, it was so deep into Howard's point of view that once that's gone, it's sort of, it's a different, it's a different camera at that time. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I wish I went, to college more but that um i just love it. i love that that sort of move of it tipping up and then back down it was brilliant yeah um and then we get we go back in his cheek it's so cool yeah i, I love this book end to the movie that we go through the bullet wound and we get those crystalline layers uh, layers like we did at the beginning of the movie and then this beautiful shot of the sky that that i I really loved uh and the business they call that a full circle well that's why i said bookend baby i know i'm just in a missed opportunity for the weekend at the end of the movie but that's fine hey um Missed opportunity, guys. Sorry, Safties. We almost had a perfect hundred. On this one. <laughs> we almost did. But you know, this is so kind of going back to the ending. This is where I kind of felt the same with with Good Time, where yes, our our main character just died, but now we can breathe because, Absolutely. like what like what you're saying, Mom, it, it's finally over. Like now we now we have this weight for off everybody. Of us. It's over. Yeah. And we can just breathe now. And it's I mean, yeah, I was real upset. Uh I mean, I, I did I did read somewhere, I don't, I don't remember where, that Howard doesn't make it to the end, but I wasn't expecting it like that. And I, I was just like, man, like what a what a what a way to end this movie. So having having not seen the movie, whereas it's clear that Jeremy and I had seen it a couple of times, your first time watching it, Rain, when you got to the end and you saw that ending, I mean, you already kind of predicted that it wasn't or you, and you had read that Howard wasn't going to make it. 
Mm-hmm. And you said that you weren't expecting that end. What were you expecting? Like, what did you expect the ending to be knowing that Howard wasn't going to make it? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I didn't know if maybe he was just going to be, you know, horribly beat up to where he dies or I wasn't expecting it was just going to be so instant. Or maybe Um, some ambiguous ending where he gets the shit kicked out of him and he camera, you know, fade out, goes to black and he's laying in a hospital bed on oxygen. Yeah. Or something like, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't like that. I, I spoilers for the departed, but it sort of had that feel to it. Yeah. Uh, with DiCaprio in the elevator or oh, right. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's perfect. What is it? What? You know, that's, hey, that's oh, a great sorry. parallel. Yeah. That's a great parallel. Jeremy, it's for real. You know, yeah, sidebar. Was, I'm sorry, Ray. No, sorry, mom. A sidebar. It's funny. You mentioned the departed. I remember mom, you watching that. And I was in my room playing a game and I hear you screaming, no, Billy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fucked me up, man. And I was just like, what? And then I, when I finally was able to see the movie, I kind of was like, was like, no, Billy. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I told you. I know. That one's ruthless. Uh, I I do want to shout out the, Whoever came up with the image uh, for this image, because he's touching touching where the bullet will later go on his right? Yes. Very similar to uh, Donnie Darko at the end when Frank is touching his eye um, during Mad World. See, and I was worried about myself reaching earlier with Kevin Garnett. His last name being the same as a gem, Garnet, whatever. Well, no, you're right. It's Garnet, Garnet, whatever. Whatever. (laughs) Pecan, pecan, tomato, tomato. Tomato, potato. So, exactly. So, can we talk a little bit about Adam Sandler and his performance and, you know, what the expectation is from the gin pop? What how many people were turned away or turned off by, I don't want to go see Uncut Gems. It's Adam Sandler. How good could it possibly be? Can we briefly touch before we close out on, on the guy? Yeah. yeah. I, I remember hearing him promote the movie on some talk show. Cause he was like, yeah, you know, I just finished Uncut Gems, you know, the Safties are, they're great. And I'm like, Whoa, it's like, wait, what? Like, wait, you did a movie that wasn't directed by uh, Douglas Coogan or whoever has done, like, almost all of Adam's movies? And I'm like, or what is this? Madison, what is it? Uh, Happy Madison. Happy Madison Productions. Yeah, so I was like, okay, what is this movie? And I and I looked it up on IMDb, and it, all they had was that poster, the, the one on the Blu-ray box art. And I'm like, okay. Like, what is this? And and then yeah, I remember seeing the first trailer and I was like, oh, this is this is going to be something special. Um, I could just tell that this was of course it took me forever to see the movie, but I was like, this is going to be 
people aren't, I don't think people are ready for this movie. And I remember hearing, cause I was working at Best Buy at the time when that movie was announced. And I remember hearing a lot of people talk about like, ah, no, I'm not going to go see it. It's Adam Sandler. Like he hasn't done a good movie since for some reason, a lot of people were using Mr. Deeds as like the, (laughs) I can pull that. There there you go. There's the gold standard of Adam Sandler films. No, it's it's always going to be happy Gilmore. You dumb sons. Hey mom, you kind of cut out a little bit there. I think you lost your, I said it. I said it's all. Or it might have been me. I think it was me. Um, hang on. But um, anyway, Sailor, uh, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. You know, like I listen again not being gen pop i i knew sandler could do it i was like that's not gonna be a problem if if nothing else you know it'll bring some sort of interesting level to this character in this film where you know robert pattinson and and is it benny who's in yeah it was it was benny uh you know it'll bring something a little different and hopefully it'll be just as crazy is what i was hoping um and it was i mean it was just as nuts and it was you know what i mean it was i'm glad that they were sticking with this sort of subgenre um and i'm hoping they continue to do so i don't know what um what they're doing next but um but yeah adam sandler man i know it, it's weird because i i think my parents are sort of this my parents are really like adam sandler so that's uh but i think they would think the same thing they would be like i don't I don't want to, you know. And and how? And what generation are your parents? Um, they're boomers, right? Are they? Oh, they're not that old, are they? Um, they may. They, they're an in betweener, I think. Between boomer and Gen Next. Xer. No, I think they're in. Okay. I think they're in between. So, let let's keep in mind right now. I'm a Gen Xer. Straight up, 1971. Adam Sandler is a Gen Xer. His humor, as far as who he is as a stand-up comedian, he touches me. He touches me. I relate to him so, so much. His irreverent, um, man-child potty humor is intelligent to me. I mean, I'll be honest, Rain Rain exposes me to a lot of millennial type humor and some of it I can appreciate and most of it, I'm kind of like, what? This is not smart. My opinion, humans your age see it differently. As a Gen Xer, I can really love Adam Sandler for every part of who he is as far as a stand-up comedian, an actor, even though most of his films would be panned by any intelligent adult human being, his music. But I love him. And so because of that, when he's given the right material, I think that a lot of people in my generation, in past generations, and I don't I don't know so much about 
generations now, millennials, Gen Z, maybe you guys appreciate him for exactly who he is, but he's super transparent as a performer, right? He's an entertainer, always entertain me. But when he's given the right kind of dramatic material, I was saying a little bit earlier, way earlier, when we first started talking about um, that same ability that Robin Williams was able to do. I mean, he was out there and he was able to bring it in and he got an Academy Award for it. I, I feel like it's in the future for Adam Sandler, but I love the fact that Adam Sandler will never compromise like, I'm going to show you, I've got these chops, I've got these this range, but the whole of who I am is this irreverent, potty, man-child kind of humor. He's just approachable as a performer. And even though he was snubbed, snubbed in the Academy, didn't that film didn't get a fucking single nod which is bullshit academy if you're watching fuck you fuck you goomba he didn't get a golden globe however he did get best male lead from the independent spirit awards so i'm starting to think hey that's right in his fucking vein because adam sandler has never been the guy that's going to fit into the mold so why not the Independent Spirit Awards? Let's make that the new Academy. Mm. So we can watch guys like Adam Sandler and other performers coming in after him rise up to their potential and get <laughs> the nods that they fucking deserve. And as a sidebar, don't forget that the kiddies love him. I mean, over the course of the last 10 years, he's won 10, counted 10 kids choice awards and that means something right uh, yeah of course <laughs> getting some sort of recognition you know um, he also won three grammy awards for his original off-brand music so I, I i haven't especially this year i i just completely gave up on the academy awards i didn't watch it at all oh. uh, it used to be something i would to. look forward to and watch it every year and now i'm just like oh you know I don't need to see any of that because most of the time they pick movies I don't care for anyway or think that, you know, they they always miss out on the really good stuff. So well, uh, uh, no no nod for Ghost Story or no nod for Green, Green Knight or Tragedy Macbeth. I know, Green Knight. So, yeah. well, well, we are a little bit of a click yeah. in that well, academy, aren't we? Uh, I, I want to add on something and uh, before we wrap up uh, to, to my mom's point, I was listening to the a 24 podcast with the Safties and Paul Thomas Anderson and my, what you just said, mom, about giving, giving Adam the right material is exactly what Paul Thomas Anderson said, you know, with working with Adam on punch truck love. Um, he was like, you know, he, yeah. Cause I think even Adam told him like, you know, this is, this script is awesome. And I think the safety said the same thing, but um, yeah, I just, I just kind of wanted to piggyback on that real quick, but um, so are, are we ready to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so to go back to what I thought of it, first time viewing, uh, I thought it was awesome. Um, I'm so glad I own it on two different versions, the Criterion 4K version and the Blu-ray version. Again, Criterion, I will say anything you want. Don't make me censor you again. You you can listen, whatever, whatever agenda you want me to push, I'll do it. Somebody's a whore. I will do it. Okay. I we need we, we need a sponsor and you can be the first one. Wow. I know I was I was literally just saying how awesome would it be if we got sponsored by them. They flew us out to New York. We could get every movie we ever wanted <laughs> on our wish list. Like yeah, I could I mean, take all those criterion movies off my Amazon wish list because I would have them all. Just and wait by the and, way, uh, that Amazon wish list pings me every single time he adds. <laughs> oh, it must be constant. <laughs> not all the time. Only, only if it's like bad. a, only if it's one I really want, like uh, like drive my car. Can't wait for that one. Well, hey, Rain, didn't you, you, you and your brother always said that mom meant made of money. <laughs> That's why. No. <laughs> I'm just Josh. I mean, my Jordan might think that, but yeah, Jordan definitely does. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I loved it. Uh, it's it's intense, um, but you know, I, I can't wait to see what the Safties do next. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Uh, hopefully, they continue this trend. I want to see more of these. No one else is doing it like this, so it, it's nice to have something that. You know, it's like I feel like watching something to make me want to pull my hair out and you know, like be like grinding my teeth. Because we need more of that. Yeah. We need more of that tension. But yeah, I agree. I mean, the Safety brothers are they're geniuses and at, at creating um a feel-good kind of tension. I agree. Yeah, uh, I've got their. I've got one of their movies, one of their other movies on my wish list called Daddy Long Legs, which is, I think. Shut more... the fuck up! I hate spiders. No, it's not. No, about spiders, no, Please tell me it's not about spiders. No, it's it's about. Phobia damn near killed me. I believe it's about a single father and just the trials and tribulations he goes through to make sure his kids are taken care of. I don't know, but it looks great. It's from like 2006. But anyway. Um, so Jeremy, yes, sir. What are we going to be talking about next week, my guy? Well, I'm glad you asked. I thought you never would. Um, you are going to be so excited. <laughs> um, next week, uh, we are discussing the beginning of a movement, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. We're talking about a celebration. Oh, uh, yes, 95. Um, it is. I'm very excited. I've never seen it. Uh, thank you again, Criterion, for releasing it um, physically. I, there it is. I can't wait. So uh, Thomas Binderberg uh, and his in in his group of friends, the first outing for this new way of filmmaking and this new way of independent filmmaking and digital filmmaking, which is uh, new at this time. So it's not going to look good. That's but all right. Really good. So, uh, if you want an example of this, check out. Uh, frankly, twenty-eight days later, that was shot on digital, and it was a little too early. So it looks bad, but it is good. So, very oh. exciting. Oh man! Kind of like Mission Impossible One versus Mission Impossible Six. Or 
a hundred or whichever one they're on now. Uh, as long as I'm telling you, one of these days, and one of these days, he's going to kill himself. <laughs> and then he'll, he'll be himself. a legend. He'll be a god in the. He'll be a martyr. He'll be a right. martyr for all film industry. That's right. Anyway, anyway, yeah, I, I I'm so excited. I'm so excited, dude. Because. Uh, you know, I, I love that the criterion is is clear with a red booklet and it breaks down the rules that him, Lars von Trier, and who else? It was one uh, other director. Uh, Lars Lars is my favorite one, obviously. I was just watching that. You spoke to me. You, you told me about this way back, didn't you, Rain? Yes, when I, when I got yeah, my About this initiative? In, yeah, when I got my copy in. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, dogma yeah. 95 um because then Fuck of course yeah. we'll, of course we'll talk about it when we actually do the episode but it, you know how this movement was so uh, uh inspirational that it gorilla, then became gorilla filmmaking yeah that then ended up becoming a genre and it it had to die out it's it's really yeah. interesting the history of it is really interesting uh, like eventually the safety brothers will die out nah nah never Oh, no. Never. Here's hoping. Never. Yeah, hoping All righty, everyone. Well, well, guys, we thanks for having me. Thanks for having me yet again. You are very welcome, Mom. Uh, we we love time. having you. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed Uncut Gems, and we will see you next week for the celebration.